the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello and welcome to The Situation Report. This is the show where we do our very best to give you the information and perspectives you need to navigate an ever-changing culture. My name is Jeremy Stalnecker. Happy to be with you today. And today we're going to talk about uh, something we all kind of lived through. Some uh, lived through it in person, physically. They were there. The rest of us perhaps lived through it as we watched media reports, we watched the news, and we heard uh, stories coming from big cities across the country last year. And uh, again, unless you're hiding under a rock, you know that we had riots taking place. It seemed like in every major city across the country, some smaller cities, a lot of things going on last year. And uh, man, so much of it was was confusing. It was absurd. It was very hard to understand. We would see videos of buildings burning, communities uh, literally being burned to the ground, looting taking place, uh, video of people being murdered on the streets, so many crazy things that you expect to see in a third world country, and we saw it happening right here in the United States. Uh, Some of the cities where those things were taking place maybe made a little more sense to us, Uh, but some of them were small communities. We never would have thought it could happen, And, and I think for a lot of us, we've struggled with how to process that. What do we need to think about that? Why are there people who can watch the same videos we can watch and see the same reporting we can see, and yet they come to very different conclusions about what took place? There are even some people who are denying anything happened. How in the world is this the case, and how should we think about it? Thankfully, today we have a great guest on with us, someone who uh, lived and reported on several of these events across the country last year. Very excited to have with us Julio Rosas. Our guest today is Julio Rosas. Julio is, uh, among everything else that he's done, a uh, former United States Marine, and that's really the only reason we had him (laughs) him on, because we only talk to Marines. We only get opinions from Marines. Uh, You know it's not true. Um, Julio, we had uh, Jack Posobiec on a couple weeks, uh, maybe last week. And <laughs> you know he was in the Navy. I don't know if you know that, but he was uh, a naval officer. So yeah, um, we went back and forth a little bit. But uh, man, it's good to have you on. Uh, senior writer at Town Hall. Um, most recently, the author of Fiery But Mostly Peaceful, The 2020 Riots and the Gaslighting of America. And uh, we want to talk about that a little bit. Thank you uh, so much for being with us. Really, really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. So let's, uh, let's just jump in. Um, maybe give us an overview about the book and then... Talk to us about what the situation was like, or different places, I'm sure, but on the ground. We've had uh, Richie McGinnis on. He's talked to us about some of these things. Um, but tell us about the book. Kind of break that down for us, and then your overall feeling as you were walking through that. So the the reason why I wrote the book is just because, especially in the aftermath of January 6th, which is which I talk about in the book because I was there covering covering that yeah. as well. But uh, there was a very disturbing trend within the mainstream media, whereas before January 6th, as they were happening last year, the riots, uh, there was this inclination for them to try to downplay it, try to justify it, trying to find ways to call it other than a riot. And uh, in the aftermath of January 6th, they've now, they they kind of shifted to two camps where 
they can say, oh, well, yes, like they do finally acknowledge that riots happened on Main Street, USA, but uh, to them it doesn't really matter because January 6th happened. Hmm. Uh, then the other camp is just uh, even 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 more disturbing is that they tried to, uh, and there's I, I include some examples in the book where uh, they, when they talk about the 2020 riots, they say, well, it was just isolated instances of property damage, which, I mean, we're talking at a minimum $2 billion worth right. of property damage <laughs> right. within within half a year uh, or, you know, five months. And, yeah. you know, that to me doesn't scream, uh, just on that number alone doesn't scream isolated instances. And, but even more, uh, uh, even more recently, I, I can't remember as a Tom Ricks or, or something like that. Uh, he, he's, uh, he's, he was an author yeah uh about the military like he was like with general mattis he was very 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 right prolific. i can't i can't think of his name yeah, tom ricks wrote a book on uh on boot camp yeah, tom, i think was his his first book yeah 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 yeah, yeah. so it's tom ricks uh he he tweeted that uh if you believe that the cities were on fire last year you're either dumb or on the payroll of russia no kidding, and it's well. And it's and it's like what? Yeah. Are you kidding me? And and so and then of course he was criticized for it on Twitter, and and then he just doubled down on it by saying, "Oh, I can't believe there's so many Russian bots out there." <laughs> um, but but that that that's emblematic of just that larger narrative that has been so entrenched in the retelling of what actually happened last year. And yeah. the reason why it's so frustrating for me to see that is because I was there uh, for a lot of these riots. I wasn't everywhere as much as I would have sure. liked to have been. To cover all this but i mean i was in minneapolis at the very beginning uh and seeing just i mean that was the closest i've ever been to uh just a, a society that was in a downward spiral of, of complete collapse and of course we're not talking about a third world country here we're talking Correct. about a, a major city within the united states yeah. so uh so i wrote the book because i really felt the need to have a physical medium on my experiences and the experiences of those who were negatively affected by the riots to, to have outside of the internet, because as much as, because this was born out, the idea was born out of mm. wanting to do long form stories and articles about the aftermath of the riots for town hall. And as great as that would have been, and as, you know, as successful as I know those stories would have been on town hall, people would have moved on after about a week. And so yeah. I feel like, especially with that, larger narrative out, outside the conservative world, the false narrative outside the conservative world. Uh, and then in just that the fact that these stories really need to be codified and actually remembered years from now, uh, a book is a good way to, to do that. So that that's why I really uh, wrote the book. Yeah. How has your response been from people who may not be, you know, uh, aligned to us ideologically? Uh, Honestly, uh, I haven't been, it hasn't been like trashed too much. And I, and I think it's just because uh, for a couple of reasons, one is just that I, I really have taken it very seriously to yeah. be as accurate as I can be uh, in these situations. I mean, and you know, people have their different styles of reporting and I have mine, uh, but especially when I'm in those situations, I, I put the commentary aside, I put the political opinions aside because people aren't tuning in to hear what I have sure. to think about this right. building that's on fire. They just want me to explain, Hey, here's a building on fire that was caused by these people for this yeah. reason or what have you. So, um, I, I think maybe, I think maybe we'll get some more criticisms and uh, I would say probably, uh, unfounded criticisms, uh, once we get closer to when the book is actually released, which is yeah. May 3rd. And we do like the full on press, uh, press media tour. But, 
and honestly, I mean, they, you know, people are going to talk regardless. <laughs> you know, it, sure. yeah, un- sure. unfor- unfortunately, because of and just, you know, we saw this during the Rittenhouse trial where, as one example, where just lies and half truths were just repeated and beat into people's heads for over a year. And that's why even today people still can't accept the fact that Rittenhouse was not guilty of murder. Right. Um, and, and I go over that in the book too, because I, I saw the second half, yeah. saw the second half of that. So that, that's just one example, right? And so it, it's, it, it goes to all these other riots and all these other protests. And it, it's, you know, people are going to unfortunately just not accept what I have to say, even though I was there right. witnessing and experiencing all that yeah. firsthand. Yeah. It's incredible. It's incredible that someone, particularly someone who is, you know, uh, intellectually aware, could watch video, could see pictures. This wasn't hidden. And to say that it wasn't happening is, uh, it's absurd, which I think leads to your subtitle, The 2020 Riots and the Gaslighting of America. Can you talk about what that means to you, the gaslighting of America? Yeah, I mean, it's just the, just kind of what I was talking about earlier, where they the 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 larger mainstream media and, and that whole apparatus they they really just don't want to fully acknowledge the the negative effects of of these riots i mean and and why was that and it's because this was they were done by people on the far left people within the black lives matter movement within the antifa movement and you know they're not allowed to really or they they're not allowed or they're not or they don't allow themselves to be upfront about just what's actually happening or or what um what the long-term effects of those are which i also kind of go into detail a little bit um just because that that's their audience right i mean that yeah. that's that's who they placate to and so obviously they don't want to alienate all that and i think and i mean my title is is a prime example of that right i mean we that i mean cnn is a very useless news organization but they were <laughs> very useful in providing a, a title for my book with right. That, right with that infamous fiery but mostly peaceful right. chiron talking about kenosha and it's weird right because uh omar jimenez who was a reporter that you see in the picture with that chiron he wasn't actually downplaying what was going on he was actually t- telling people hey this is there is a riot happening like there yeah there was peaceful protesters during the day, but right now there's a riot. But some jack wagon in the New York City office decided to be like, oh no, we're gonna go with this. Yeah. And so the, it's just it's just so prevalent that even if there's even people within the news organization that's willing to actually be honest about what's going on, right. they have to go against kind of the internals right. uh, of it, and that could be in the form of just Chiron writers, or it can be even executives. And so uh, that 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 to me is what 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 the gaslighting has been in relation to this topic, and it's very very. Um, I, w- I would say surprising, but it's also just cynical because you're right. It's it's hard to deny that there's a riot happening when there's video out there and, right. and it's happening on a wide spread scale, especially when it happened over and over again last year. I mean, but but you know, lo and behold, because they have a narrative to to perpetuate, they're gonna they're gonna try their damnedest to uh, yeah. to to lie and gaslight to the American public. Um, when you think about all that took place. Um, there's there's an aftermath. We I guess we could say to the city and the communities, and they're fighting through that. Um, but there's an aftermath as well to our culture. What do you see as the cultural impact of not only a year of riots, but um, the gaslighting and the denial? What, what's the impact on our culture of what happened last year? 
Um, well, I think one of the culture, uh, one of the cultural impacts has been just the increase in crime uh, in many mm. cities and particularly the cities that were hit hard, like Minneapolis. Uh, I mean, uh, I went on a ride along with uh, D.C. police in southeast D.C., which is one of the you know crime hotspots in, in the city. And I'll, I'll never forget that the, the detective that I was riding along with, he said that things were starting to degrade in that area starting in 2015. But when you have the overwhelming rhetoric and you have the overwhelming kind of political consensus within yeah. the liberal sphere about defunding the police, the police are the issue uh, and what have you, that really gets into people's heads and, and way of thinking. And so now, I mean, I mean, it's 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 unbelievable uh, seeing that police in Southeast DC and uh, the Anacostia neighborhood and what have you, they 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 are unable to do active policing. They can only be Crazy. reactive. Yeah. And so, I mean, they they will literally have one officer, and that's partly because of uh, staffing shortages. They'll have one officer near a street corner where shootings are just known to happen because people gather and they, you know, try to steal from each other and there's open drug markets and what right. have you. So they'll just have one guy, one officer there just so that when a shooting happens, because a shooting will happen there, they can just be right there to respond and take care of it. So um, that that's just kind of one example of, of that impact where even if necessarily they don't defund the police or abolish it, that yeah. in, pe in people's minds, they are, and so then, therefore, that power, that that fear of lawbreaking is is gone. And we've seen that with uh, kind of taken on steroids uh, very recently with San Francisco sure, and sure. and other cities in Los Angeles uh, or in, in California, like Los Angeles. I mean, we've seen these gang, these looting gangs and high end uh, shoplifting gangs target cities like San Francisco and Los Angeles because there's no fear of being caught. There's no fear of even if they are caught, they're they're probably not going to be prosecuted to the fullest extent because you got DA progressive DAs that are basically uh, the criminals defense attorneys at that point yeah. and and so it the, the effects of the riots go go far beyond just the buildings that are burned down because obviously that's the immediate effect but there's so many things that reverberate past that and and that's one of the reasons that's another reason why I wrote the book is because it's to highlight what happens in the months and sometimes even year or so after you know the national news media uh, has gone away. Many of our veterans feel they need to fight their battles alone. This self-isolation has led to the staggering statistic of more than 20 veterans taking their lives every day. The mission of Mighty Oaks is to eradicate the veteran suicide epidemic and help our warriors change their legacies. We've been able to help over 4,000 veterans and first responders by equipping them with the tools they need to live the lives they were created to live. Our faith-based, peer-to-peer approach has one of the highest success rates of any program available today, offering hope and understanding to those who need it most. By aligning their lives to biblical principles, these men and women are able to lead their families, their communities, and our nation. It's your generosity that can make a difference in the lives of the men and women who have fought for our country and our freedoms. Now that they're home, don't let them fight alone. Learn more at MightyOaksPrograms.org. Um, maybe two questions. Well, I'll start with this. One of the questions that I had when I was watching the riots unfold, and it's like every day. Um, I live in Southern California as well, and 
relatively peaceful here. Los Angeles was different, but um, you know where I live. But you're watching these things, you're asking questions about will that end up in my neighborhood or in my community, and so you've got all these things going on. One of the questions that comes up, though, is why isn't the government stopping this? Why is not the National Guard stepping in and you know, putting an end to this? Why are we allowing this to just play out? And we're watching stores being broken into and looted and burned and, and people being murdered on the street. All these things are happening, and it seems like no one's doing anything about it. You know, in the military, it's, it, we're putting a cordon around it and then just letting it burn. What's the reason for that? Why didn't someone say we're not going to allow this to happen? Yeah, I mean, that that's a question that, that I often ask myself, right? Or I was asking myself when, when everything was going on. And, and I think uh, the greatest example of that was Minneapolis uh, during that first week, that first week, because uh, we had, so George Floyd was, was killed on that Sunday. The video went viral that Monday. Mm-hmm. And so rioting broke out. Monday, but it wasn't super widespread. It was mostly contained to South Minneapolis and particularly the third precinct where the officers were, were stationed out of. But obviously you could tell that that wasn't going to get any better. And so right. the National Guard didn't come out in full force until that Friday, right? Wow. So, I mean, that is almost, what, three full days of the police being completely yeah. overwhelmed. Yeah. And so I think it's partly because, I mean, you have to think about where some of the worst rioting happened, and it was in Democratic strongholds. And I think that's partly because, again, who was rioting? It was people involved within the Black Lives Matter movement, and they did not want to, the politicians mm. and the city council, they, they didn't want to come off as cracking down on these racial jo- justice protests, because then that's going to probably hurt them in the ballot box uh, later on, because they'll be remembered uh, for doing that. And so, right. obviously, that's, that's the wrong approach, but I, that was definitely... A political calculation of, until of course then it, it got so bad that even you know they themselves were in danger of right. feeling the effects of the riots. Yeah. which obviously that's not how it should be but right. that's that was what kind of ended up happening in some of these areas and with kenosha wisconsin specifically i mean the governor after the first night of rioting uh after the whole jacob blake shooting only 125 national guardsmen were were initially called up and they didn't arrive until late that monday night yeah. And so uh, the the governor, who's a Democrat, he, he has defended that by saying, well, that was the only quick reaction force available to us. And that's why it took longer for, I mean, because after the Kyle Rittenhouse shootings, that's when we had you know, thousands of Wisconsin National Guardsmen yeah. in, in this small yeah. town. But you have to think, well, you, you guys should have had a lot better plan in place because mm. Kenosha was far from the first place experiencing rioting. I mean, Minneapolis is not that far from Madison, Wisconsin. Right. Right. So it was really irresponsible for them to think, or I guess to be complacent by saying, oh, well, we're not going to experience anything uh, like on that level. But uh, this was August and rioting had started happening in May. So it, it was really it was really a wake up call uh, to them for, for seeing that they were just so caught off guard. Yeah. Uh, and, and again, I think that's just partly because of the politics, which you know, in a riot, no one really cares about your political yeah, affiliation. Right. It's when it's a free for all, it's a free for all. And, you know, it's just, you, it's every man for himself. I remember when I was, uh, you know, much younger, the Rodney King trial happened and the riots took place after that in Los Angeles. Um, there was a federal response to that. So not just the National Guard, not just local police, but a federal response. Do you think there should have been more of a federal presence or a federal response in uh, some of these locations? Oh, yeah, absolutely. But again, you look at when there was a federal response, like Portland, yeah, uh, Oregon, right. and because I talk about the, the, the federal courthouse siege, because sure. I, I was there, I was there for covering that. 
what did we see? We saw the national media. Right. Uh, we saw national Democrats and obviously the local Democrats in Portland blaming the federal agents mm -hmm. for the riots this, by saying if they never responded to rioters, and I'll say Antifa rioters, yeah, it attacking, a, yeah. attacking a federal a courthouse, then then right. nothing would then we wouldn't be having this problem and sure. it's such a such a warped and just wrong view of what happened i mean the whole reason why extra federal officers were sent to the courthouse was because the federal protective service which are the agency that normally protects courthouses all across the country uh they said that they were unable to meet the the sophistication right. and then and the level of attacks that they were experiencing because up until then because that was in july right up until then uh, the Antifa groups were mostly targeting the, the county and the city uh, law enforcement. And so they then decided to turn their attention to the to, to the federal courthouse. And yep. so then that's why. But so, yes, there absolutely should have been more of a federal response, uh, at least more much more of a quicker federal response in some of these areas. But even when we did see the sure. feds come in, they were the ones that were wrongfully vilified. Uh, because again, they were supposedly attacking peaceful demonstrations, which was yeah. which is just not true at all. Yeah, the whole narrative was upside down, and it was very hard to figure out what was happening and what should happen. Um, but here we are. So in the aftermath of this, as Americans who are trying to figure out what to do about it, <laughs> what do we do about it? How should normal people think about what took place think about what's happening right now in our big cities and in our communities and think about how to maybe prevent that from happening in the future. How should, how should normal families look at what happened and, and how should they think about these things? How should they respond? Maybe that's a better way to say it. it you know, I, that, that's, that's a really good question. Uh, and I, I think one, one thing, and it's not, not exactly the, you know, the optimistic answer, but it's really, you have to be prepared mm, for when things fall apart because things fell apart very quickly in, in these areas that maybe you wouldn't think would be, you know, safe, quote unquote, sure. in, 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 in these types of situations. Uh, in terms of, I, I think again, with like kind of a cultural response, uh, I think this whole hyper focus laser focus on race is the wrong approach and and i say that because when we look at what happened with the jacob blake shooting right yeah. when everything becomes so racialized it doesn't matter what the context is right, when, right. when things are just viewed through that lens it gives a very distorted view and so when i remember seeing the video you know that 10 second video of jacob blake getting shot in the back my first reaction was okay that looks bad but then the second reaction i had was okay but this doesn't make sense yeah. things just don't escalate that quickly like there, there's clearly a before right, that we're right. missing and so but but because it was a white cop shooting a black man and because of the environment that we were already in it, it just that's why riots were immediate that was just the go-to response because yeah. like oh here's yet another example of racism within policing just completely ignoring what we didn't know and and once we did have all that information kenosha was burned for a man who was violating a protective order who was armed with a knife who was uh, according to the officer was very likely getting ready to kidnap the two kids in the back seat that's why the kids were in the back seat i mean yeah. no one was really asking those questions because right. that was my other question too because they're like wait why are these kids in the back seat and why why like why would a father put his kids in danger like that 
it doesn't make like again so that, i'm like none of this makes sense and then you know once we got that full studio you know, he had a warrant out for his arrest yeah, I mean, that's right, why it just right. makes more and more sense but because everything is was viewed through that racial lens that's why a lot of people felt yeah rioting in this small town mm. is justified because sure. of what happened but that's just completely a, the wrong approach and you know i i say this as someone who who's not white right i'm of hispanic descent and i i absolutely don't think uh everything has to be about race because you know my race has nothing to do with you know my success within conservative media that that i mean obviously i i know i'm representing latinos but uh, it just mostly comes from the fact that i've gotten to where i am today because yeah. i focused on actually just reporting just the facts which apparently a lot of a lot of other people in the media have a hard time doing <laughs> right which is fine because then then i can come in and be like no here's what actually happened so I, that that's just kind of one example on the response and so really i mean i'm, I'm not saying there's no racism in the united of states there, there will always be racism but sure especially in with what what happened last year we saw kind of the the reaction to world war everything's racist and so therefore it's justified to act in this way which is the burning and looting of small business owners and families who also happen to be minorities so it it never made sense from the get-go and their justification for it but because again that prevailing narrative and that and that just how much power a lot of these corporations and yeah. a lot of these you know, news outlets have yeah. people just kind of get just went along with it and yeah. you know woe on to you if you said hey no this isn't this isn't right um yeah. and you know i i don't think we're in a better spot than we were last year uh because of because of that kind of attitude which is unfortunate right because you know everyone could see what happened with george floyd and say like right. okay that's wrong and so then how do we go about fixing that? And then the, the one side that really came out on top that had the most you know, amplification was, well, let's just get, defund the police and we'll abolish the police. And it's like, whoa, whoa, right. hold on. No, no, no. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> right. And then it's like, well, well, then you're racist for do, for being against yeah. it. It's like, well, <laughs> none of this makes sense. And it's like, I'm the one being crazy. Like, am I the one that's like crazy over here? Uh, so I I know that's not exactly like the kind of hopeful answer that maybe maybe some people were, were, were wishing for, but I guess that just comes from just having seen the destruction from that yeah. viewpoint firsthand. I think it's it may not be hopeful in the sense that oh this is going to turn out better, but it's helpful in that it, it explains how these pieces are connected, right? And I think you know because now we're talking about critical race theory and intersectionality and all these other things. Well, there are real consequences to communities and to families. Um, when we start talking about these things, and we need to know that they're connected. You and I both served in, in the Marine Corps, and people ask about racism and that kind of thing in a military setting or in a combat setting. Um, I, I was in combat. I'll tell you, I didn't care what color anyone was to the left or right of me. We had a, a, a goal. We had a mission. We had something we needed to accomplish. Your skills, your ability, your willingness, those are the characteristics that matter, and I think in a in a society like ours, where there are so many backgrounds and races, we're focused on the wrong thing. I think you're exactly right, and we're now hyper focused on the wrong thing. So instead of finding the common grounds, the common mission, the common purpose, the common goal, we're focused on how different everyone is instead of how you know similar and alike we are. And um, yeah, until we can get back to that, we're really going to struggle through this. I think you're exactly right. I, and it is hopeful because identifying that as a problem <laughs> brings hope. And I think that's that's good. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think when when we kind of and, and, and that's one of the that's the other reason why I look I wrote that book. Right. Is just because it, it's kind of 
this is where we're coming from. Yeah. And and obviously it's not good where we're coming from. And it's kind of if we're going to continue down this path, more people sure. are going to be hurt. Sure. Because, I mean, when we when we look at the crime statistics on who's being who's on the victim uh, end of those crimes and we're talking violent crime. I mean, so it's 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 kind of weird, right? I mean, nonviolent crime is generally down across the United States, but violent crime is, is up. Mm. And who's the victim of the uh, who's, who are the victims of the violent crime? It's usually minorities and even more specifically uh, black people. And so this this whole movement was supposed to be about saving Black yeah. Lives Matter because yeah. Black Lives absolutely matter. But when they then try to push these policies, just end up hurting the very people that they're trying to save. But they don't want to admit that because it yeah. goes against the whole. It goes against everything that they've been building up. And so, uh, you, yeah, it, it's it's tough. It's tough. And I, you know, I I don't have like the the, the solution, or else you know I'd be overpaid at some think tank in DC. <laughs> uh, and obviously that that would have been that would be better for my <laughs> for myself. But it's just it's just generally this is this is what happened, and we can't. Yeah. forget that history That's but good. because because unfortunately you know there's there there are those who want to who want us to forget what happened yeah. because of who who was rioting and and from my point of view all rights matter when we talk about the the retelling of just our nation's history That's good. I think it's a very important book. Um I I think not only do people want us to forget the reason in, in that but I I think a lot of very good people, even a lot of very conservative people we all just took a deep breath when it stopped, and we just want to forget that it happened and move on. But it's really important we come back and understand what happened and why it happened, and it's the only way forward. Uh, man, Julio, thank you so much. Can, can you talk for a second about where people can follow you, um, where they can find the book, when it's released, you know, all of those things that we need to know? Yeah, sure. So they can find my work on a daily basis at townhall.com. Uh, and the, the book right now is available for pre-sale on Amazon. Uh, understandably, if you don't want to give your money to Amazon, that's okay. Because <laughs> as we get closer to uh, the release date, there'll be other avenues to, to pre-sale. Or, of course, then you can just uh, actually buy it the day it's released at wherever uh, your books are sold. Uh, and, um, yeah, just just really quick, I, I, we it's the reason why it's like especially i'm all about not forgetting is because for me and i'm sure you you have this experience too uh since especially since you deployed like there are things that you can't forget right and there are things that keep you up at night and that's i talk about kind of my personal mm, yeah uh, journey through journey through that because yeah. it's real and, and you know i didn't get you know um bad sleep because i was covering a peaceful protest sure, because i sure. had just covered covered a riot so but yes, uh, May third is when the is when the book comes out, and uh, you know, really hope uh, people people like it. And yeah. yes, believe it or not, Marines can write books that are not. <laughs> so. Yeah, uh, Jack Posobiec would say you had to write it with a crayon, though. So that's that would be. <laughs> I mean, don't don't get me wrong. I, I will sign the books in crayon. Good, they're very good. Yeah, yeah, you always have those around uh, in case you get hungry or you need to sign something. Uh, that's awesome. Absolutely. Um, so as May third gets closer, we'll talk more about this. Hopefully, we can have you on again, maybe uh, once the book is released. But that'd be awesome, Julio. Thank yeah, you so much. Thank you for your service to uh, to our country and your continued service to our country. This is very very important. I appreciate you doing it. No problem. Thank you. Thank you. We will have Julio back on when his book is finally released. But uh, man, what an important book. It is extremely important that we don't forget what took place last year, that we do our best not only to remember it, but then to understand it. Get the book, um, Fiery But Mostly Peaceful, The 2020 Riots and the Gaslighting of America. Very, very helpful. But a couple of takeaways from this conversation 
for me. And I hope that these will be helpful to you as well. And this is today's situation report. Uh, Number one, there were riots in 2020. <laughs> now, that shouldn't have to be said, but as you heard, uh, there are those who would deny that they took place. They would call them something other than riots, and yet so many of us uh, saw in real time, live, buildings burning, looting taking place, other heinous acts of violence. We saw it happen, and it did happen, and it was real, and we have folks like Julio who are on the ground uh, reporting on this. It did happen. It's important for us to understand that. Uh, The second point of this, and this is something we spent some time talking about, of course, in the interview, is that there should have been a response. There should have been local law enforcement response, and in many cases, local law enforcement tried but could not deal with the the mass of people that they were uh, trying to deal with. Uh, There should have been community response. There should have been state uh, response. There should have even been perhaps a national response in many of these areas, and yet there were not. And that's a big question mark. Why were there not, or why was there not, a better response from local communities, states, and then the federal government. This is a question mark. I think it's one that uh, we need to deal with and try to understand. But there should have been, there was not. Finally, and this was a a great discussion toward the end of our interview, what is the outlook? How should we think about this? Until we are willing to start looking at the real issues, we will continue to have problems. As we continue to go through this period of polarization where we're dividing people, and it's, it's crazy to see. We've spent so much time historically trying to break down barriers, but now we're putting people back into categories, and we are polarizing based on race and based on ethnicity and based on background and even where we live in the country. Until we're willing to look at what we have in common our goals, our desires, what we hope for our communities and our families, we are going to continue to see problems like this. Uh, Perhaps not riots on large scale, maybe, we don't know, but certainly the rise in violent crime and the other consequences of what took place last year will continue until we are willing to deal with the real issues, and we need to stand up and deal with those issues. Uh, Very, very helpful conversation. Again, get the book. We'll talk about it more when it comes out, but uh, I know that's something that you'll want to get a hold of. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Appreciate it. Talk to you next time. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.